my fellow plebs, River is setting a new standard in Bitcoin. At river.com, you'll pay zero fees when you dollar cost average. Truly the best way to build your Bitcoin wallet. All Bitcoin at River is held in secure cold storage with 100% full reserves. There's no need to wonder what's happening behind the scenes. Your Bitcoin is your Bitcoin to withdraw at any time. Additionally, River lets you make Bitcoin payments via the Lightning Network, offers a Lightning integration for developers, and allows you to mine Bitcoin directly to your River account. River has a level of service that is unheard of in this industry, including phone support, private client advisors, and the ability to designate beneficiaries to inherit your Bitcoin wealth. River has become the premium name in Bitcoin that anyone can easily access. Sure, you have a place to buy Bitcoin, but have you tried River? See and feel the difference at River.com and the River iOS app, the preferred partner of Bitcoin Magazine. Over the last five years, the Bitcoin Conference has become the world's largest gathering of Bitcoiners. From breaking announcements and international media coverage to countless meaningful talks by thought leaders and industry innovators, we are excited to continue our drive for global hyper-Bitcoinization. From July 25th to the 27th, 2024, we'll be taking the Bitcoin Conference to the city of music and freedom, Nashville, Tennessee. Join thousands of attendees for countless opportunities to learn, engage, and network across three days of pure Bitcoin signal. Get your tickets now for the best price at b.tc forward slash conference. You are not going to want to miss what Nashville has in store. My fellow plebs, Bitcoin Magazine is headed back to Amsterdam in 2023. We're returning to Westergast to build on this historic success and continue our mission of global hyper-Bitcoinization. In its inaugural year, Bitcoin Amsterdam was the biggest European Bitcoin event in history. Held from October 12th to the 14th in 2022 at Westergas Event Forum, nearly 3,000 attendees jumped at the opportunity to learn, engage, and party with fellow Bitcoiners. 126 brilliant speakers from all over Europe and beyond took the stage to represent different angles and present various perspectives. Offering six different on-site locations and three fully programmed stages, we are absolutely stoked to catapult the European community to the global stage. Tickets are at their lowest prices right now. Lock yours in at b.tc forward slash conference forward slash Amsterdam. That's b.tc forward slash conference forward slash Amsterdam. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another FedWatch. My name is Ansel Lindner. I am joined by our special co-host, Nolan Bowerly. Nolan, how are you doing today? Ansel, I love life. Who could complain? Things are getting better and better. Not this week in Bitcoin. No complaints here from me. But if you guys are new to the show, this is a Bitcoin show that talks macro with our own unique flair. But we take dive down deep into the central bank stuff. Today, we're going to talk about CBDCs. We're going to listen to some Powell commentary, and we're going to talk China Yuan. So all sorts of global currencies, macro, all wrapped under an umbrella of Bitcoin. So thank you for joining me. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. Nolan, this was a crazy week. You've been, you've been live streaming every day. Are you holding it down over there? Yeah, it's been easy for someone who does what we do, which is sort of react to what's going on in the zeitgeist and what's out there in the news. And, you know, 
I do a morning show every day, 8 a.m., the breakup. Come and join everyone who hasn't seen it yet. And normally, you know, stuff from the Fed Reserve would be like a major part of the show, but it, but it's it's even hard to mix it in. There's so much going on. So there you go. Yeah, well, Powell was testifying in front of Congress this week, so we are going to play a couple of those clips. He talks specifically about crypto. So we're going to see a crypto clip and talk about Bitcoin versus crypto and then CBDCs. And we have a big, long discussion today on CBDCs. There's lots of action happening on that front. So I can't wait to get into it. Guys, you can follow me at BitcoinAndMarkets.com. I do a also a live stream, not a daily show like Nolan, but a probably three days, maybe two, three days a week. I'll do go live with my own podcast. You can check out the telegram t.me forward slash Bitcoin and markets every single day posting this similar content, macro stuff, Bitcoin and all of that. So Nolan, what are your thoughts on all of the ETF filings? Do you even care? Or is this like kind of like you're saying, just we expected this. This is what we have been expecting for a long time. It's kind of, it's not a surprise. Yeah, my only part about it was that it was a little too on the nose. You know, it's like just as the Coinbase action is happening, oh, suddenly all the banks are suddenly interested. And now something that I saw years ago, there was a time when I worked with Kraken and that was in the summer of 2020 when all kinds of stuff was going on. And I was a strategist there. And at the same time that the OCC first said that all banks could sort of get into this business. I noticed that it was kind of a trend. They were deregulating some of the systemically important institutions. And so at the time, if you remember, it was Brian Brooks who went on to work with Binance and I think FTX at one point, I forget who else he was with. But at the time, he was the office of the controller of the currency. And he said custody, for example, was something that banks didn't need permission to get into and that they just had an implied license to operate at that level. And the same thing was happening with ETFs. So the SEC, before that, every ETF had to have its own application. The SEC had to look at it, how redemptions were going to happen. Basically, what was the plumbing behind the ETF when they constituted it? And what had happened in 2019 going into 2020 is that was removed. So I said, you're going to have a two-front situation where the large banks in the United States could just leapfrog all of the native Bitcoin and crypto industry because they suddenly didn't even need to apply for custodianship, even though the technical parameters of Bitcoin custodianship is so different than the normal custodianship they're used to. But then supplemental to that, I saw this ETF thing without any applications needed. And now this is a sort of different ETF. They did have to apply to this one, but it's in the vein and we can see all of these people coming. So a little too on the nose, but look, it remains consistent with what we predicted. And, and we are watching exactly that story unfold before our eyes, I think. Yeah. Producer Chris, what are your thoughts on this? You know, from a industry perspective, what struck me is just the tidal wave nature of this BlackRock files. And then all of these other f entities file their copycat ETFs. We have things like EDX, which is this trad TradFi exchange for Bitcoin filing their kind of paperwork, whatever they have to do. But are you surprised by the tidal wave nature of all this? I guess I'm not surprised by the tidal wave nature of this. I think a lot of people have the inkling that BlackRock's going to get approved. I mean, their track record's like 576 wins and one not approved for ETFs. So I definitely think a lot of people think with BlackRock filing, they're going to get it. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe this is the first time that BlackRock has filed for an ETF. So yeah, so it, it, you know, if the one failure wasn't a Bitcoin one, I'm not sure what it was, but it looks like they have a really, really good track record of being 
in the in the regulators' pockets, or at least getting pushing through ETFs that they want. I guess the, the, the one thing that's concerning too is, I mean, the SEC kept saying, we're here to protect consumers. We're here to protect consumers. We're here to protect consumers. Well, they didn't really do that. They kind of came in after the fact and like, mm-hmm. you know, took the horse out and back behind the barn, behind the shed. I guess the thing that's concerning though is, the, I, I don't know how the ETF's going to roll out. So if BlackRock gets approved, is it going to be like, oh, the, it, even though it's approved, it doesn't go live for two weeks and then that allows other people to come in? Or like, so that way on the day that it launches, will there be six Bitcoin ETFs? Or is it BlackRock's going to come out first and then the rolling cadence of all the ones that applied afterwards? I don't seem, think that's really fair. I don't think that gives the consumers the best product if it's like one gets a, a jump start of a few days because they applied first. But I don't know. That I guess that's just kind of me trying to say you want to protect the consumers and you want competition Petition, but if you roll out to BlackRock uh, like a week or two or however far ahead of time, you know, I, I definitely think that's unfair in, in how it's going to be. And so I'd, I'd love your thoughts. Well, I think there's one that's very similar to the BlackRock filing that's ahead of them. And I think it's like ARK Invest or something. So they have a filing that's months ahead of BlackRock. So if BlackRock gets approved before they do, that would be very interesting. But other than that, all the copycats that have come out in the last week, like Bitwise, they quickly changed their filing and refiled very similar to BlackRock's filing. Invesco, who are some other ones? Fidelity, I think, did, did they put in a new new filing? Some of these companies obviously already have filed before and been denied. And now with BlackRock, they're quickly revamping their, their paperwork and, and, and filing it again. So... Yeah, I will be interested to see if BlackRock gets approved in this first period. So they have 45 days. If it doesn't get approved, then they can kick the can for another 45 days. And then there's like a couple other ways they can delay it out to, I think, six months or so. But I don't think it's going to get that far. It's either going to be approved or denied within 90 days, probably within the first 45. Nolan, what are your thoughts on the speed that this could happen? I think it could be even quicker. Um, mm-hmm. the, the the brazenness with which this was tabled at the same time that we see the narrative around the choke point 2.0 thing happen means to me anyway that how cute it looks and when it is is approved isn't really a consideration right now, right? Mm-hmm. No one seems to be worried about how people will take it or anything like that. So the optics seem to be thrown out already. It came on top of a bunch of action now it is limited to Bitcoin, so they are singing off of Gensler's song sheet, right? Yeah. So there is some form of, let's say, coordination about expectations here. They're not aiming for a, a very exotic product compared to what Gensler has been discussing mm-hmm. and what he has already defended many times, saying, you know, the market does require this sort of thing because he's had to be defensive scale convert. And within the grayscale conversion optics, right, that there are consumers not being protected, he's had to talk about consumer protection avenues. So he's getting attacked. And I'm doing a bit of mind reading here on him, but I don't think he loves that he's become the most hated man of, you know, within the regulation space in in D.C. by a lot of people. And so because of that, one can imagine, you know, he's human and and this is at least some good press as far as consumer protection goes. This is giving the market what it's been desperately asking for, a regulated way to get exposure to Bitcoin at at an institutionally, let's let's use their word, credible scale, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, 
And I, I definitely want to add one thing there. One thing that people have been not mentioning, or it, it seems is grayscale. So obviously we've talked about grayscale in, at nauseum over the weeks, but I think the one person that does not want this to go mm. through is grayscale. And let me mean what I mean by this. Grayscale is technically printing money. Like, you know, they have all this Bitcoin locked up in a trust and they basically get to collect 2% fees at NAV or at net asset value. Right now, Grayscale, last time I checked, is at like a 40% discount, 41% discount. I forget what it was as of late. So they get to collect fees, 2% fees at NAV. But if you're at a 40% discount, that's like what? You know, an additional one and one and a half percentage points. So they're really getting like three per three and a half percent, three point seven percent of the assets that they get to just, you know, scrape of people that have it in the grayscale trust. Well, obviously there's been hold up with, you know, obviously DCG and Genesis and, and all of this. They're kind of in this landlock of, hey, maybe they were offering illegal security or, you know, offering interest or yield on their Genesis product. And obviously they can't play back the Genemi ERM customers. Basically, what I'm getting at is that like right now, the only thing that's really keeping DCG or it seems a lot of their profit or business comes from this grayscale ETF, the grayscale trust. If the yeah. ETF gets approved and they don't immediately switch over or bring their fees down, funds are going to flood out from Grayscale into the BlackRock ETF, into the Fidelity ETF, into whatever ETFs come on board. Because normally you'd expect that 2% fee that they're scraping on top of the net asset value being way lower is going to flow into something that, let's just say, most ETFs are at 0.75 or 75 basis points. So you're saving one and a, half, yeah. one and a quarter basis points, and that's at NAV. That's not even at the discount. So Grayscale is sweating because if this gets approved, they see a lot of their profit and, and revenue flowing out from Grayscale into these other trust options, which could really like really send DCG and ultimately them into bankruptcy. I know they were trying to sell Coindesk that there's, you know, they're kind of in this bankruptcy proceedings with Genesis. This could kind of be the last thing that kind of takes them out. So sorry for the long-winded well, no. answer there. Well, my question is, or my comment here is what Joe Carlosari has said recently about, you know, the whole idea is that BlackRock, they have all this insider information, most likely. They have connections within the SEC. They also have insider information with the proceedings of Grayscale versus the SEC. That, you know, Grayscale wants to turn GBTC into an ETF. Maybe they got wind that that is likely to happen. And so BlackRock wanted to jump in front of Grayscale and not let Grayscale be the first spot Bitcoin ETF. Any thoughts on that, guys? Have you you obviously have heard that, but what are your what's your thinking on that? Yeah, that's the only thing I'd I'd sort of disagree with Chris on. Not because I know the answer, but it seems like they wanted it for themselves. Like I don't understand a lot of the technicalities of the lockup that they have when you buy it as a trust versus when you convert it into an ETF when it comes to redeemability. I don't exactly know the technicalities, right? Because this is really complicated stuff. So as I understand, there is broader market access if they go to the ETF than there is when it comes to the trust. The trust, I think they can only sell to accredited investors because it's not technically on public, you know, I, so again, yeah. I don't understand the actual parameters. So I wouldn't be able to say, but but I feel like checking at the 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 actual pre the the discount on on GBDC has shrunk since the application. So someone out there who understands risk has said this is better for GBDC. So that, that's the only yeah. part of it that makes me say, well, I'm missing something. I, under, I I agree with your narrative, Chris. It makes sense to me, but somehow there's a piece of the picture here that I don't really get. Maybe it is market size. The pie just is so much bigger. It doesn't matter how many pieces you've cut it into or something like that, but, but that's what I'm seeing. Yeah, definitely. 
What about the relationship with the SEC timing? Nolan, you mentioned that a few seconds ago about this is like they start cracking down on Binance and Coinbase and all of these other unregistered securities. And then all of a sudden BlackRock files a week later. I mean, it was pretty much a, I think it was eight days or something after they filed against Coinbase. So what yeah. what's with the timing? Well, we're, we're about to bridge into the Fed Reserve comments, right? Yeah. With the chairman and what he said. But let, let's remember the context of when you're sitting there cooking up this Bitcoin ETF, what was going on two weeks ago? We sort of forget, right? We had the debt ceiling debate in America again, and we saw that the Fed was going to have to be very creative to deal with the ambitions of public debt and the folks who are actually out there spending the money. So what I see is the game everyone in the world right now sees that the US dollar is no longer the same instrument that it was. It's becoming much more political. What we saw from Jerome Powell's speech yesterday, indeed, it looks like we're going to talk about it. Of course, interest rates are going to continue to go up to fight some of this policy stuff. But notionally, the idea of the actual real interest rate, what people are actually paying out there with the amount of programs that have already come online to sort of deal with the bank crisis and maybe real estate coming up, the sovereign debt crisis. When you add all of those things up, it looks like there are folks who now at the largest institutional levels at least see sovereign debt risk as a real thing. And they are basically putting up an off ramp for themselves and, and that this narrative and the, that this investment opportunity is going to be in the air and they would like to capitalize on it. So that that's what I see. That's why okay. I see these things, you know, the timing of it being so interesting. It's not so much the timing of what's going on with the SEC's actions vis-a-vis -vis Coinbase and Binance. The more relevant story to me was watching the bank crisis, how that was mopped up and how it looks like the hawkish interest rate price and demand destruction that's out there is going to continue to create this opportunity for and demand for political money on one end and wealth preservation on the other. So yeah. they they see the same lines Bitcoiners see is what I'm saying. Well, I'll add that I, I just want to make plain for people that like an ETF filing doesn't just happen. You know, it's not like they were a month ago, they said, hey, let's file for an ETF. No, there's been probably two years worth of study in the, of the space, researching the critiques that the SEC has had over other ETF filings, watching this space develop all of 2022 with all of these crashes and getting a lot of the leverage of the scams out of the space now with the SEC going after Binance and Coinbase, perhaps not the last two, but two of the bigger last ones to get rid of a lot of the wash trading and other things in the space. So this is kind of a culmination. And th that's why it doesn't really surprise me that after the SEC did this filing against Coinbase and Binance, that BlackRock was like, okay, now is our time. There could have been some coordination. I'm not going to discount that, but I think it's kind of logical that mm -hmm. they've been working on it a long time and it's about time to get the big guys into the space. Chris, do you have any final comments on this? What, what's the feeling on Bitcoin Twitter out there? A lot of people are saying, you know, we're front running BlackRock, so better or worse, <laughs> you're pumping your own bags. But I guess a lot of people say the regulatory risk of 
you know, obviously if you're locking in an ETF, it's not under your control. It's the same as having money in a bank. If you are find yourself like Nolan, a Canadian citizen, and you're protesting freedom and you have a Fidelity account or a BlackRock account or whatever, mm. this ETF, you run into the same issue that they could close down your account for whatever reason. You know, once something you were doing was legal yesterday becomes illegal today and they back you know, close you out. So as many Bitcoiners say on Bitcoin Twitter, not your keys, not your coins. I know a lot of people that are maybe, I, I hate to say the, the boomers, but the boomer generation that is really looking forward to moving some of their IRA or their 401ks or retirement funds into this, just know the risks that you have. Yes, you might be there for the price exposure of a spot Bitcoin ETF, but you run into the same issues of censorship resistant money if you're not holding your own keys. And, and I've even seen this with people that have Bitcoin and they're like, Oh, like I was never asked for my 12 or 24 words for setting up a hot wallet or, or, you know, even a hot wallet or a cold wallet. And if you don't have the 12 or 24 words written down and you send to an address on that wallet, you could find yourself that you're using a custodial wallet or a mm. hardware wallet that had some trade-offs that you weren't suspecting. So not your keys, not your coins. Many people on Bitcoin Twitter, even though they seem to rant and rave, they're more than happy to help people that are genuinely curious. Introducing the Gatekeepers Issue, the Q1 2023 print release from Bitcoin Magazine. The winter editorial serves as both a reminder of the sacrifice whistleblowers have made in the pursuit of truth and the call to arms for a new generation. Order it now from BitcoinMagazine.com. There's a thin line between curation and censorship. There is an even thinner line between moderation and constitutional violation. The Gatekeepers issue explores the liminal space between these nuances, painting the fences worthy of demolition and those deserving respect. Bitcoin Magazine is for all Bitcoiners, the curious, convicted, and the maximalists. Subscribe today for exclusive interviews and profiles with leading Bitcoiners, actionable insights on the state of the market, breaking news and cultural trends, powerful photos, and artwork from the best artists in the world. Don't miss out on this piece of Bitcoin history. Subscribe now at store.bitcoinmagazine.com. Bitcoiners, if you're like me and want to gain a deeper understanding of what's going on within the Bitcoin market and broader macro environment, you need to subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine Pro today. There's both a free and paid version of this daily newsletter where our market analysts Dylan LeClaire and Sam Rule break down what's going on in the market so you don't have to. Subscribe today at BitcoinMagazinePro.com. So what are you waiting for? Don't delay. Subscribe today at BitcoinMagazinePro.com and embark on a path towards Bitcoin mastery. Get ready to seize every opportunity in the market with Bitcoin Magazine Pro today. Speaking of price, speaking of getting exposure to the asset, let's pull up the charts. Let's look at the daily chart. And uh, this is one of, I mean, I'm in the camp where I think price is the only thing that matters. And a lot of people don't like that comment, but you know, if Bitcoin were to go down consistently for 20 years, no one would be here. The space would be non-existent. So Nolan, check out this chart here. We broke the 50 day moving average and this downtrend, and we went right back up to the year to date high that was set. When was this April, early April? It looks extremely bullish. We have kind of. Let me just a, pause. Go, go, go. Let me just pause you for one second because we got to just, when people predict correctly, you nailed it last week. You said up yeah. last week and quickly. I remember yeah. I didn't. I said more boring stuff. Boring week in Bitcoin. <laughs> well, I can't wait till CK gets back because we had that it. bet right when he left. Yeah. Okay. There you go. You na not just nailed it. That was one of those like two bullseyes in a row. So there you go.
Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So I think the 50 day moving average, a lot of people poo poo on technical analysis, but I, I say this on my show, Bitcoin markets all the time. It, it's just a series of shelling points where people's attention on the chart is, you know, focused on. And once we passed that 50 day moving average, it was pretty obvious that we were going to squeeze a lot of shorts and run up quite fast. I thought we might pause at 28,000, but we went all the way up to 31,000. This looks very bullish. Let's go to the weekly chart. And here we, this red zone that I highlighted there on the daily, you can now see it here on the weekly better. We went back above the 200 week moving average. The 50 week moving average is now back sloping positively, which is always a good sign in Bitcoin. We just have to break through this little bit of resistance here at 31,000. Nolan, does this chart make you bullish? Am I looking at a precious, beautiful golden cross? Yes, you will That's be in. Yeah, you will be in a couple months. It's going to take a couple now, months to close. Yeah. If that narrative comes true, that is a sort of a real rare unicorn thing for Bitcoin to duck, duck down between death crosses and then kick it back and go into a golden cross as back and yeah. forth as it has in its history. Like that's not a common it's, thing, right? It's never happened on the weekly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's what I mean. Yeah. The, the weekly chart on Bitcoin has never had a death cross where the 50 has gone below the 200. So this will be the first ever golden cross of on the weekly chart. So that's a pretty big deal. Wow. Okay. So I, I'm missing some of the context in general then. Yeah. Cause I, I don't really know all the, there, there's been different death crosses and golden crosses with different um, time frames. Metrics. Yeah. Time frames. Okay. Yeah. On the daily, it happens often, but here, no, on the weekly chart, it has never happened in Bitcoin's history. So and, and at the bottom, one, one reason why I was able to call the bottom around after FTX was uh, mm -hmm. because we had some bullish divergences on the weekly chart, which also has never happened in Bitcoin his, Bitcoin's history. So there is some new stuff happening on the weekly chart, which I think is interesting. Any other overall thoughts on the price action that we've seen over the last week? No, not not too much. I mean, I'm I'm mostly caught up in these other narratives right now. The price, <laughs> when I see it like this, just sort of confirms my bias. So I rarely sort of revel in it, you know. All right. Well, let's move on to the Powell testimony in front of Congress this week. We have a couple Twitter videos that I wanted to watch. The first one is going to be about crypto and that he thinks it has staying power. And the second one is going to be about CBDCs, and that's going to take us into the CBDC discussion. So, Producer Chris, we're ready. Crypto and digital assets in the U.S. has got a you know, market cap of around $1.1 trillion right now. It's been there for a bit. Do you acknowledge that this asset class has staying power in the U.S. economy? It appears to have some staying power. Of course, that $1.1 trillion was, what was that? A year ago, a lot higher. Yeah, yeah. It's had some volatility in large measure due to the lack of legal clarity. And so hopefully this committee will will help that quite a lot here this summer with, with at least two bills, one on stable coins and one on market structure. And it'll be clear not just for Congress, but for regulators, including Chairman Gensler and, and obviously market participants, whether they're, you know, forming the ideas or investing in the ideas or participating in the activities in crypto and all right. So yeah, he said that it appears to have staying power, but then of course he's talked about the mark, the total market cap of all the scams and stuff is quite a bit lower today, not necessarily Bitcoin, but the scam side of the house. So, and I thought it was interesting too, that they, even the legislatures, legislators keep 
talking about regulatory clarity. We have regulatory clarity. Nolan, go for it. What do you got? Yeah, when I, you know, the Fed, at least from a like reality point of view, when it comes to Bitcoin has always been sober, let's say, right? Mm -hmm. I remember listening to James Bullard, the president of the St. Louis Fed, the St. Louis Fed, of course, the big data house for the all the Fed system, right? That's where you go to get a lot of fun data. And he gave a presentation and I, I even pranked him at the presentation. I gave the I drew the buy Bitcoin sign myself and gave it to the person <laughs> interviewing him because it was not long after Bitcoin sign guy. Just asked him what he thought about it. Right. He didn't like it that much. Trolling. But he gave a great presentation, which was and I thought it was the best you can sort of hope for from a Fed president at the time, which was simply this. Look, there was a reason for which private issuance of currency went away. And he showed some data from the 1890s and the 1900s and the, the area before the, you know, the time frame before the Federal Reserve was created. Talked about why you would want to create a monopolistic issuance bank at the time and then said, look, that's over. And he said that in 2018. He just admitted the truth wasn't mm -hmm. a matter of opinion. Right. He said that era is over. The era of private issuance is over. He didn't get into the quality of what was being issued. That wasn't really what he was talking about. He was talking about that it re was real and it was already interacting in ways that he recognized with the U.S. dollar. And so, you know, and, and even to that, look, the, you know, one of the most beautiful data points out there for Bitcoiners, and I think you should share it with folks all the time. It's at the St. Louis Fed and it's eggs in Bitcoin. You can actually get they, mm -hmm. they they have that like teed up eggs in Bitcoin on Fre on the Fred website. On the Fred yeah. website, yeah, eggs in Bitcoin. I mean, what other day? What other? What else matters in the end? Eggs in Bitcoin is like <laughs> an actual metric for planet Earth. That that's what future economists will know, will use to tell the health of our general economy. The elf, the the eggs Bitcoin index, right? It's super vital, and they were the first. So good for them. So when I hear him say what's true. It's a surprise, first of all. He's not spinning us, right? He's just admitting the truth. It has staying power. And he didn't look like he liked it, right? right. But He if, raised his eyebrows a couple times. Yeah, he raised yeah. his eyebrows. That's more mind reading, body language, and this and that, right? Yeah. But at the same time, you know, he's admitting the truth, which is which is more than we can normally expect from these folks. And that that they're not even putting spin on it is, I think a good thing, right? It means they still don't quite get what we're talking about, even though BlackRock and all these guys are coming in at them and, and clearly selling a new narrative, right? They, I guess, are unaware. Maybe they think their degrees and their professional experience all really matters in the end. And it's not just competing narratives and, and, and all that stuff. We'll see. Well, I think what was interesting, too, is that he he's, like you're saying, he doesn't know about it. He's being honest. He's said it seems to he's not pretending to know everything about this space mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, but also everybody on twitter ran with this idea that oh the fed says that crypto has staying power no he was just simply saying it seems to i guess i'm, I'm not an expert in this those that's how i would put it in in other and, words and look you can't forget that bitcoin is a cryptocurrency now, I understand it is the cryptocurrency, not just a cryptocurrency, right? But cryptocurrencies are a real thing, right? Now, mm. you don't need to qualify. Now, I'm not saying that, that, you know, that there's, that's a whole separate subject, but they are, yeah, yeah. in the same way, they are real. And, and the alpha and the omega of them is Bitcoin, right? But, okay. but they are a real thing. And, and 
so it's not really for him to know those nuances, you know? That's yeah, well, I, I'm working on a new article for BitcoinandMarkets.com where I am uh, kind of teasing apart a definition for crypto because it, when you people talk about crypto, you don't know if they mean cryptocurrency. What even is cryptocurrency? How would you define that? I, I don't. I think you need to stick with Bitcoin. It's not even a cryptocurrency. I think Bitcoin is digital cash or electronic cash, the mm -hmm. same way Satoshi would have described it. He he never used the term cryptocurrency. That I'm aware of. Sure. So that's I think cryptocurrency is one of those terms that were was created to lump in altcoins with Bitcoin. Sure. Yeah. Well, well. So when I got into Bitcoin, predating what I understood about the industry, it's been ten years. You know, what yeah. I knew my blind spot was was cryptography. And when you learn mm -hmm. about cryptography, you start to see that crypto economics, for example, which predates Bitcoin, and there's only really one proven case of crypto economics working. It's Bitcoin. Which is, and crypto economics are just economics like we all know. There's nothing special about it. Don't, don't be confused by the typical economics jargon creating stuff. Like, like he was saying yesterday, it wasn't the Phillips curve that caused inflation, you know, for, for listeners. The Phillips curve being the correlation between employment and the price of consumer goods. So, that yep. you know, basically trying to explain away the print being directly cause and effect with inflation. So... Crypto economics are, are, are merely a subcategory of engineering. It's just to explain engineering choices that go into a system that doesn't have a business behind it. And, and so there's only the one, you know, that's why we put, pay so much attention to the fair launch of Bitcoin and to what Satoshi was doing in the early days yeah. and the pre-mine and whether it's a pre-mine. Because the minute you start doing those things, you're putting actual economics into things, not mm -hmm. crypto economics. So it's about keeping it sort of linearly under the category of engineering. It's just economics in a category of engineering. So in that way, right? And and, and even, but, but, but here's the thing you got to remember. Bitcoin, as it grew, was the reserve currency of the crypto industry, right? Now, whether we like it or not, it, 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 it what the tail of Bitcoin lashed around and grabbed all kinds of crazy shit that, that isn't up to anyone, you know, to put style points on. So Bitcoin was able to absorb all that energy and will continue to absorb all of that energy. And, and I agree with your predictions, but, you know, it'll still be a word in the history books that there was this thing that was traded for bitcoin <laughs> yeah for a long time for yeah long time. oh yeah i say that's crypto is in the wake of bitcoin mm -hmm. and yeah. bitcoin is pulling yeah. it along yeah. yeah yeah let's let's go to the next clip this is when he starts talking about cbdc's so this is a whole different branch of crypto now that we're going to get into and this is the cbdc discussion so uh, producer chris we're ready for the next one uh if the fed were to offer a direct individual accounts to citizens wouldn't this be a direct threat to the financial privacy of many Americans? Potentially, and that's why we would not, it's not something we support. We, we would not support, you know, accounts at the Federal Reserve by individuals. That would not be. If we were to, and we're a long way from this, if we were to, you know, support at some point in the future a CBDC, it would be one that were in, intermediated through the banking system and not directly at the Fed for exactly the reason you, you point out. If the Fed were to... All right, so there you have it. Once again, Powell is stiff-arming the idea of a CBDC. He did kind of make a, a nuanced distinction, which people in the space will be familiar with, but I hear a lot of macro people talking about a CBDC as some monolithic thing. But the nuance here is that there's a retail CBDC and a wholesale CBDC. The retail one would be like 
people having accounts at the Federal Reserve and spending a Federal Reserve retail coin where a wholesale CBDC would be like what he was talking about, where a b- banks, it's between banks only, like kind of like how reserves function today in the banking system. So those are two completely different things. Nolan, what were you thinking? Did you see this clip and what, what was your initial reaction? Yeah, I mean, again, to me, what this looks like and why we're getting all these mixed messages is never forget, he's kind of the CEO of what is not a company, but let's pretend it is for a second, right? The Federal Reserve employees and the staff and all this stuff. Now, who is the least likely to know in any company in the world? There, there is no exception to this. What's going on in the company? The person least likely to, likely to know what's going on in the company is the CEO. That, that's just unfortunately the way companies operate, right? CEOs have a very simple job, project the company. General managers, their staff, they know what's going on and all this. What I see is someone who doesn't really understand what people in his own department are doing, what the engineers who are building FedNow are up to. Now, when I hear him talk about stuff like this and he looks a little confused and, you know, even when you hear him talk a bit about what he was mentioning earlier with crypto, crypto, right? He's a little confused. Here's one thing. So this is what I read on my show, one of my big takeaways. And I I want to put it in because it's not really one of the finance ones, right? So this is what he actually said. This is something that came out of the Fed chairman's mouth during the meeting yesterday. He goes, Fed Reserve Chair Jerome Powell said on Wednesday that he expects the U.S. dollar to remain the world's reserve currency as long as democratic institutions and the rule of law remain in place in America. (laughs) I, I couldn't read it out loud. I couldn't even read it out loud on the show this morning. I couldn't even read that statement out loud. In, in the hallways just down in the same building, there was all kinds of stuff that was obviously disagreeing with what he was saying. And there are very few Americans who even can't get through that statement without blasting out in laughter, right? Yeah. Uh, so this is what we're dealing with here, right? Now, is he? does he mean it? I think so. I think it's, you know, this is a guy who looks stressed out in his job about interest rates and, and what's going on with inflation. And, and maybe he doesn't know anything. Maybe Phillips curve. And what about the Phillips curve? And, you know, there was another guy testifying. There was, I think, an impeachment thing that failed yesterday. There was a plea bargain. There was there's a, you know, people getting arrested and who knows what's going on. And there's still people in jail. And so... <laughs> You're sitting there and that's his point of view. So look, we'll see, you know, we'll see, we'll see. Good job. Maybe, maybe he was talking about like the overall structure, you know, like since World War II, the U S has led the international system that set up the WTO, set up the yeah, World court, sure. set up the UN, set up the IMF. Everything is set up. This system is set up. The rules that we operate under right now is set up by the United States. So mm-hmm. maybe he's saying that the international system it would you know Maybe. would if that goes away then the dollar goes away but Maybe. anyway my, my response to all those type of comments is they can just back the dollar with bitcoin just like they can back it once again with gold people mm. think that bitcoin is anti-dollar but it's not it's anti-unbacked dollar you know it's anti just complete elastic money supply so Anyway, that's, I wanted to use that as a diving board into the CBDC discussion because the BIS also put out a report this week. Let's see. I think I have a little slide. Let's go to, sorry, Chris, I'm going to go out of order. Slide number six. 
This is the BIS's annual report. They slowly, I think they slowly put out chapters throughout the year. This chapter is a blueprint for the future monetary system, improving the old, enabling the new. And if you go to the next slide, these are the key takeaways. It's all about a unified ledger, not a CBDC where, you know, these central banks have different ledgers, but all central banks are supposed to have a unified ledger that is interoperable. They want to tokenize money and assets. I mean, when I, I didn't read the whole, the whole chapter, cause it's something like, I don't know, 80 pages or something, but it just struck me the little bit I did read struck me as so 2014, like these guys are all about blockchain. They're about tokenization and we are just way, way past that. Nolan, do you have any comments on this? Have, did, were you aware of this new thing that came out? No, I've been paying attention to the BIS. I've met researchers from there on a number of occasions, and they always seem sincere and, and sort of, you know, like honest is the wrong word, but I guess they meant what they were doing open. open. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but this does look holistic. I mean, it looks like they, they can kind of understand the playing field. Yeah. But yeah, the idea of all of this on one platform i mean yeah i mean i, I think they're <laughs> i don't know i think they're i think they're going to too many conferences maybe you know is that it <laughs> they're, they're listening to the wrong people you know they're listening yeah. to the vcs they're listening to these yeah. guys that have launched these altcoins and trying to wrap everything together i i just i think it is it's naive and that just shows you what the central the bis is but also on the same day that Powell was speaking, Georgie Vina, I think that's her name, the the president of the IMF, mm -hmm. she came out and said that they're working hard on a global CBDC. So now, Chris, can we go to slide number three? And this is the newest out of the IMF managing director. As you can see, we are working hard on a global CBDC. And let me bring up this and see if I can pull out a couple more quotes. So to have transactions more efficient and fairer, we need systems that connect countries, she added. In other words, we need interoperability. The IMF managing director argued that global digital currencies would, quote, give more people access to financial services and bring the costs down, adding that CBDCs can provide for more resilient and efficient payment systems and can be a cheaper way and a quicker way to do cross-border payments, pass remittances, and also simplify other transfers. I want to point out, however, if we look back just a couple months, if we go down to the next slide, this is what they, the tune that they were singing just a couple months ago. Here's another quote directly from the IMF. So, Quote, we actually rapidly increased. Oh, wait, that's the wrong thing. Sorry, just a second. I didn't have this highlighted properly. Georgia Vina made a distinction between what she called retail CBDCs, one that can be held and used by individuals and wholesale CBDCs, which would be designed only for certain financial institutions. Quote, we think that wholesale CBDCs can be put in place with fairly little space for undesirable surprises, whereas retail CBDCs completely transform the financial system in a way that we don't quite know what consequences it could bring, she explained. 
So this is directly contradicting the statements she made yesterday. They're working. Yes, they're working hard. But then she's like, oh, they can bring X, Y, Z and it's so efficient and it can bring costs down. But just two months ago, she's like, we don't know what the consequences are. Mm-hmm. It's going to totally reshape the financial system. So they're, they're going back and forth. And I think I have one more slide on the IMF. They, no, they probably it. came to Bitcoin 2023 and <laughs> got all jazzed up and came back with a bunch of ideas. Yeah, could be, could be. I think that they just had, she had to say something since yeah. Powell said, we're yeah. not doing a CBDC. Yeah. She had to say something, but that's all I, that's all I have on the IMF, but I did want to update the CBDC project in Nigeria. Did you see this? So the central bank governor, one of the central bank governors, I don't know if he was president or chairman of the, their central bank, he got arrested. They don't know. They haven't said exactly why, but here we can see that for the moment, it is not entirely clear why Godwin Ephil, Ephil has been removed from his post and detained by Nigerian secret police, but there are a whole slew of possible reasons. They talk about the war on cash. The IMF is in this story, actually, on this arrest. The IMF says that this is disappointing. Most of the people who have been able to download the eNaira app and have chosen to do so have not bothered to use it. They said it's only been used by 2% of the downloads. And they have destroyed their economy to institute this CBDC. This is the largest CBDC experiment to date in the world. And it has absolutely collapsed this country. So Powell says we don't need it. The IMF two months ago says that we don't need it. And Nigeria proves that it doesn't work. So Nolan, is there any chance that a CBDC could actually launch in a major economy, like say from the ECB? I I continue to think the only way they're going to get a rollout, and it's probably not what the Nigeria thing was offering. It's the incentive. It's the UBI baked in. And by UBI, I mean the universal basic income. So, you know, what we were talking about with the ETF stuff earlier and this idea that at least conceptually, BlackRock sees the narrative of hedging against runaway governments, diluting their money as a as a, a product right so you know the the and the the other side of that trade is that your money is basically becoming food stamps right in america that's where a lot of social programs social program money goes directly to these food stamps well what if those political priorities end up defining the money even more and in this case that's looks it looks like that's what they missed out on right they didn't design this technology to offer any new benefit, it was supposed to just take over from the old one. So I continue to think you'll never get people to use this. You know, I, I just think people like to know that they can at least have the option to break the rules, right? No one likes to feel <laughs> like they're being watched, right? Just as a just as a privacy. general privacy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just want to. That doesn't mean you're out to break the rules. You just want to know that if you have to use your discretion, you're free to use it, no matter what, right? I think most of the most honest capitalists would would have that point of view right sometimes you got to think for yourself and and the rules don't exactly fit so you gotta you gotta figure out what to do so i think they'll get success with one of these i I continue to predict whenever it's like this which is just like oh the quality of our paper money is easy to counterfeit it's up to you citizen you know it's like it's like the same the same thing with with the global warming debate, right? It's up to you, citizen, to do more stuff. It doesn't work, right? Well, for some it does. 
what where's the corporate responsibility right in this case in, in a certain sense where is the corporate responsibility what are you offering anyone in this trade and once they figure that out you'll i think you'll see it you'll see an uptake for example we've we've heard about fednow and all that if fednow really is going to synthesize the food stamps and the housing vouchers and and all these things that people want in the budget and they want these entitlements to be there you're going to find a way to get them direct and and once that happens i think you'll have a a, a successful cbdc as long as the toolkit is there for the politicians to offer these things right so you're saying it will be kind of a hybrid between a wholesale and a retail, like limited retail CBDC. It could probably, you could even run it through cities. Like I, I think you can see it that way. Like here's, here's a wholesale CBDC to a city. And then the cities can draw out of that money because they're the front line. You know, if they really want to stay away from, from direct accounts, that's one way to imagine it working, right? Where, where like the Nigerians say, hey, Lagos, here's the money we have for you, right? Here's your, you don't know how to raise taxes. You don't have the toolkit. Here's the money. You make sure everyone has a bed and food and whatever, whatever. And then the city itself has another system to get that pushed through. So I think there's a, there any, you know, there's a million ways to skin the cat. And I think we're going to yeah. see a whole bunch of them, but there just has to be either, either one of those relationships where it's like, okay, a city municipal government, and we've seen a lot of these, you know, Miami coin, all this kind of stuff. Like the cities, you know, they they, they already put tokens out for uh, buses and all of this stuff. They already are in the food stamp game. So, you know, it'll be one of these things where, where maybe the Fed does deal with a municipal government in a wholesale way. And then maybe the municipal government has some form of retail play that is like bus tokens can also be used for ham sandwiches and eggs and you know yeah that's interesting to to bring in the the municipal and the state governments as the transfer mechanism from the federal government that's very interesting i i think that most of these projects will go the same way that the projects did in blockchain in 2014-15 they'll launch they'll think oh something this is cool or they'll have Mm -hmm. a program that I think it's cool, but then they find out it's really hard to keep consensus. You know, a distributed mm-hmm. consensus is hard. You don't need it. You can just do a regular old centralized mm-hmm. system like they have today and put a couple little changes in. I mean, that's what Fedwire is. Fedwire is just kind of a upgraded ACH wire transfer system. And so and, and, yeah. and everything I can describe to, to, to like fit into your narrative, everything that I just yeah. described has already been invented by the Amazon gift cards. I mean, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> True. It's private yeah. money. It's private money, right? More or less private money. Mm-hmm. And they have a distribution system that seems to work. The people go and sign up and say, oh, I got hit by a hurricane or whatever it is. And then all of a sudden you get these gift cards. And, and that's, you know, FEMA has been distributing these pretty widely in America, the disaster relief organization and I, you know it's so it's already out there these cards already work so they don't they don't need to invent any of this stuff they've already no. got it it works great right those cards when they when they started using those cards i was like what this is amazing you know and it's so weird that they call this a ledger like a unified ledger that, that all they're all in with this blockchain and dlt stuff but really they'll figure out that they just need a regular old database mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. all that they need but of course, they can't sell cheaper, faster transactions, more efficient money transfers. They can't sell that if they just say, hey, we're going to use a traditional database for this project. So it's 
it's the same scam. It really is the same scam that the altcoiners pulled back in 2014, 15, all the, you know, all, all the way to 2022, I guess, that they pulled the same scam trying to hide non-viability by tag words and say, oh, we, we are decentralized. We have a blockchain. We are ex we're cryptocurrencies. So they um, want anyway. they want conference invitations. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so the, we have one more story. We're getting up to the end here of the show. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. Like, comment, subscribe, share this around so more people can find the show. If you comment down below, you know, the algorithm will push us out to more people. The last topic we have here is China. And I do have a slide here of the China Yuan. And I have inverted this because traditionally it's USD to Chinese Yuan. And you'll see it about 7.1 Yuan per dollar. But what I have done here is invert this so we can see that it is falling. This is the Chinese yuan falling. In 2020, it rose because there was a juiced global demand by all the stimmy checks going out, you know, people sitting in front of their Amazon screens, uh, mm -hmm. you brought up Amazon, and ordering all of this, these physical items on the internet. That boost, boosted the value of the Chinese yuan or the demand for the Chinese yuan in their economy. That has now fallen off. This reopening, there was reopening hype. Maybe China is back, but now that has also been dashed and it looks like this is going lower. So this is dollar positive. Once again, bringing in this de-dollarization theme that I don't believe really exists, but this is showing that the Chinese Yuan is getting weaker. Now, I also want to put in context that as you, they, as, as they have all these infrastructure projects, to try to stimulate their economy. They have a closed capital account. So those yuan that they're printing or helping to juice credit within their own system, they can't flow out to the rest of the world because it's a closed, they have capital controls on all of their money. So that those yuan just sit there and create, directly create higher prices within their economy and debase their own currency. So one of the themes that we've been really hammering home over the last year, I would say, year and a half on this show, is the Chinese economy is looking sicker and sicker. They've now lowered, continue to lower rates. They lowered rates once again this week, trying to create stimulus within their economy. But guess what? That's only going to go directly into inflation. So Nolan, do you have any comments on what we're seeing out of the currencies like the Chinese yuan or the Chinese economy? Yeah, no. So... It's interesting because I saw this same graph before you even shared this with me earlier. I had seen this morning tracking around this same inverted yuan to dollar, but back to 2014 when the United States negotiated for China to have a free floating currency in the world. So the capital controls being ignored as one of the manipulations, but the other part, it being at least tradable at liquidity scales in international markets, which would force foreign perceptions on the money to at least have some, you know, role in exchange with the US dollar. So everyone believed at that time, right, that it was 2014, that the yuan would would start really mooning, right? It was supposed to moon right. after that. The whole point of all of that was that the exchange rate from 2014 was not legit, that it was being suppressed, and that it was lower than it ought to have been. And so it was supposed to go up. 
it has done nothing of the sort. It has gone steps down each and every time. There's been different reasons for which it's crashed like it is right now. Uh, and each and every time it was, you could see the, the, the federal, the, their central bank getting involved and, and having some kind of print that would create stimulate demand, especially with the real estate industry over there and other things that are not going so well. So indeed, but as I understand, the whole world ends up paying a price for yep. when Chinese money becomes more valuable. No, less valuable. Yes. Yeah, no, it's a problem. If if, if the Chinese yuan appreciates, that means it goes up in value relative to other currencies, mm -hmm. their exports get more expensive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But if the Chinese yuan devalues, which is what we're seeing right now, yep. the Chinese yuan is going down, that means their exports actually get cheaper for the rest mm -hmm. of the world. So this is another thing that people are talking on about a knock-on effect from this is deflationary pressure. Yeah, that's what it is. Exactly. Because so it, it screws everyone's manu like it screws our the American reason to start repatriating manufacturing again. It's sort of bad for everyone. It's bad for China mm -hmm. and it's bad for everyone else. Is, is that is that because I saw Jeffrey Snyder saying that today. I watched his macro yeah. video on this stuff and and that's what he said. He said that the basically Chinese yuan down is bad across the world. It's, it's just bad. Well, yeah, it, it means that one, there's no demand for Chinese goods. I mean, if the global economy was doing very well, mm -hmm. couldn't get enough Chinese goods, then there would be high demand and the prices for Chinese goods would be high and the yuan would be relatively high. Mm -hmm. There would be no need to stimulate. But now we have the reverse. So I don't know if we can say that lower Chinese or de depreciating yuan leads to bad economy in the world. I think it's the bad economy that leads to the de depreciating yuan. Mm -hmm. And it just signals that there is global recession happening right now. And we mm -hmm. see this in Europe. They came out, remember, we talked about this last week, that they have now officially entered a recession yeah. in yeah. all of the Eurozone. China hasn't, but we don't know China's real numbers. Mm -hmm. well, one of the things also about China is they have they do reverse. Like the U.S. does output Mm -hmm. And China measures like inputs for their mm -hmm. GDP. So if, if all they have to do is become less efficient and use more inputs compared to outputs and their GDP will rise. We, we don't know if China is in a recession, but I would bet looking at this chart of the Chinese yuan that they are definitely mm -hmm. in recession right now. And that's a signal for the entire global economy. And, and, and as far as, you know, just to pick up on that, as far as signals and to relate it to Bitcoin, what I see is the following. I see, like, like you're saying, de-dollarization, mm -hmm. maybe not practically, but psychologically with everything that's gone on this year, you've had a lot of big countries express interest in not using the dollar for everything, which is a form of de-dollarization, right? We've seen yeah. some of the biggest economies. We've seen Saudi, Brazil really big important economies say mm, we're, 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 we want to try something else right want to try something else and now when you see china that was supposed to fill that void that's being expressed by all of these places we want some other form of settlement mechanism for energy let's say and now if they you know they're supposed to and we're going to look forward to it hopefully i'll be back on your show in august to talk about uh, the BRICS 2 meeting, which is going to be, by the way, very concurrent with the Jackson Hole Fed Reserve meeting. Oh, right? wow. So Jackson okay. Hole is going to meet right after BRICS 2. BRICS 2 is probably going to try and launch their shitcoin. The BRICS, oh, boy. they're going to lay a brick. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> they're going to lay a bricks too somewhere. And, but you know, they might, there, there's rumors about Bitcoin being on the agenda. I don't believe it. I think it was some form of, you know, disinformation or who knows. We'll see. It would be amazing if Bitcoin is on their agenda. Then, then they're going to have a lot to talk about in Wyoming <laughs> a week later or whenever. Somebody will mention it. That's for sure. Someone will mention it. So yeah. all this to say, that's cooking up a pretty interesting summer because look, we've got this de-dollarization appetite that's been expressed by the market. Mm -hmm. And we've got China that doesn't look like it can catch the rain when it falls. So there's manna from heaven coming, everyone. Big yeah. Time. yeah. And just to expand on that one more time for our listeners that are new to the show and you made it this far. Yes, de-dollarization is happening, but that is a, a symptom of a monetary shortage, a deflationary pressure. Like we're talking about the, you know, the glo glo global growth and inflation are going down. And so people are out there searching for alternatives. That's why they like the BRICS or they, there's so much talk from like Nolan was saying, the Saudi Arabia and Brazil and all that stuff. And Bitcoin is definitely in that list. Bitcoin be, is a alternative money right along. It makes way more sense than a BRICS currency. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you talk about BRICS currency, you definitely should be talking about Bitcoin. But yeah. anyway, that's all I have for today, Nolan. Do you have anything else to add or any plugs here at the end? Yeah, every day, 8 a.m., come join us. We're on the Bitcoin Magazine YouTube. We're on Twitter under my handle. We're also under my handle on YouTube. I went on Facebook, but too many psychos came into the room, so I oh, cut really? the Facebook feed off. We still do LinkedIn. We're also there, Twitch, a few others. So come around and join us, 8 a.m. every day, and we have a good time, talk about all this stuff, and definitely like talking CBDCs and China and energy and all that kind of stuff. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for co-hosting today. Guys, my name is Ansel Lindner. You can find me at bitcoinandmarkets.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Ansel Lindner. And we'll see you next week. Bye. What is up, audio listeners? Thank you for enjoying another episode of FedWatch. Down in the show notes, you will find all the appropriate links to our social media, the original version of this podcast, and community links. Also, check out BitcoinAndMarkets.com, where I put out a free weekly newsletter every Friday. And there you can also help support the show by signing up to become a paid member. See you next time. Thank you, Miami, for the last three years in this amazing city. The whole world shut down, but Miami welcomed us with open arms. We want to show Bitcoin to the whole world. We are taking the conference on the road to set the stage for Bitcoin in a new city. Nashville. Bitcoin 2024 is coming to Nashville in Tennessee, a city that is known as a music and freedom city. Bitcoin 2024 in Nashville from July 25th to 27th. My fellow plubs, Bitcoin Magazine is headed back to Amsterdam in 2023. We're returning to Westergast to build on this historic success and continue our mission of global hyper-Bitcoinization. In its inaugural year, Bitcoin Amsterdam was the biggest European Bitcoin event in history. Held from October 12th to the 14th at Westergast Event Forum, nearly 3,000 attendees jumped at the opportunity to learn, engage, and party with fellow Bitcoiners. 126 brilliant speakers from all over Europe and beyond took the stage to represent different angles and present various perspectives. 
offering six different on-site locations and three fully programmed stages, we are absolutely stoked to catapult the European community to the global stage. Tickets are at their lowest prices right now. Lock yours in at b.tc forward slash conference forward slash Amsterdam. That's b.tc forward slash conference forward slash Amsterdam.